Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI and the Future of Work. This is your host, Dan Turchin, advisor at Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. I got a special announcement before we kick off today's discussion. We just published our 75th episode. It was last week. Thank you to everyone of our listeners for making AI in the Future of Work one of the most downloaded podcasts in our space. Truly, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. We are 75 episodes in, but I promise we're just getting started. Uh, it'd be great if you'd take a minute uh, to review the show in your podcast app if you enjoy what we do. Today's discussion is timely in the wake of recent ransom attacks and data breaches, including high-profile ones, including SolarWinds and more recently Kaseya, that have impacted so much in our lives from gas prices to meat prices and really just entire global supply chains. We're all feeling a little bit insecure about who owns our data, how they use it, and probably most important, what happens if that data is breached. A hot topic in security circles right now is social engineering, which is attempts by hackers to trick you out of your credentials. The future of authentication has never been more relevant, more important. For decades, we've been anticipating the end of passwords and traditional MFA or multi-factor authentication techniques, including pins, one-time passwords, that sort of thing. Well, we got a treat because today's guest developed a better way. Biometric authentication may, may emphasis on the may, get us out of this mess. John Whaley founded Unify ID in 2015 to solve the identity management problem after having received his PhD in computer science, then spending time as a lecturer at Stanford. Today, we're going to get a glimpse into the mind of an entrepreneur and a technologist who has navigated that path from academia to then being a technical founder to being a CEO, then being acquired after raising $20 million in a Series A led by NEA, one of the most storied firms in Silicon Valley. Thanks to Finay from John's team for the intro to John. We got lots to unpack today. Without further ado, John, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Let's get started by uh, having you share a little bit uh, about your background and how you ended up in this space. Sure, yeah, and it's great to be here. Yeah, uh, so my background, I've always been very technical. I've been programming since I was five years old and it never really stopped <laughs> since then. And so, um, I mean, I, I, I went to MIT in my undergrad. Um, I spent some time at IBM research. I did my PhD at Stanford, all in, in computer science. Um, and, you know, and my, my area of expertise was really in, uh, security and, you know, and, some some aspects of machine learning there as well. That's what I did my my PhD in. I had my first company. I actually founded out of Stanford called Mocha Five. Um, that one eventually got acquired after around ten years, and then quickly left there, and then started Unified. E. And I think that was around six years ago now. And yeah, just very very recent news. We uh, we just this one just got acquired as well. Um, and yeah, so something that we're we're super excited about. So anyway, that's the. That's that's my general background. Uh, I, I have a little stint as well, 
where I was, I, I worked as a lecturer at, at Stanford for a couple of years uh, teeling, teaching the compilers class. Congrats on the acquisition, of course, to you and the team. Let's pick up there. So you've now twice gone through the process of getting acquired. What were the signs that it was the right time to be acquired? You know, ultimately, I mean, so each each of these experiences were quite different. I mean, the first time around, and and now this time around. I mean, but ultimately, what the question comes down to is that: um, Are you better off, uh, you know, working towards this goal as part of this other organization, or are you better off like continuing to go your own? And there just so the you know the background on unified e we started in 2015 we had very um innovative technology we 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 launched on stage at TechCrunch disrupt you know and and you know, in san francisco we we ended up winning runner up there we uh we won the the next year we won at rsa um innovation sandbox the 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 first ever and then still only ever unanimous winner of innovation sandbox we we won a bunch of other awards and those kind of things and like very like very innovative technology um and and very strong on the technology side um you know in some sense like we're a little bit early i think it was like you know we were doing and talking about these things back in 2016 and there uh, you know, the, there wasn't much of a behavioral biometrics market at that point. Um, now there is, and they, it, it, they're starting to be more and more one. But I mean, ultimately, the, you know, it, it, it came down to this is like, well, uh, we could continue to go, you know, go it alone, build up the, uh, the sales and go to market organization that's required to be successful. Um, you know, in this market. And I know very well, you know, from my past experience, I knew very well exactly what that would mean and like what and the time that it would take and the capital it would take. And then, um, or we could decide to join forces with another organization and, you know, potentially accelerate that. And so that's where, um, you know, we were at a crossroads there where we, you know, you had mentioned that we had raised 20 million for our series A. We were, uh, that was back in 2017. Um, you know, that, money plus like some some amount of revenue like you know that brought us to 2021 but like as we looked in 2021 we're facing well when i raise a series b and you know tell the story around okay this is the path this is where we're going um or do we look to um you know for some type of strategic you know acquisition at that point or you know to join forces with another organization where uh you know we would be able to bring a lot to the table where at the same time, you know, they would be able to dramatically accelerate some of the other parts of building the business, which is really the, like where the next stage was. Um, so, I mean, that's ultimately what it came down to here. And then, you know, just, it, it, you know, it, it, it's for any founder, when you're looking at this, um, I mean, like all the, the, the best founders, they don't look at like, well, wh- where's the best market opportunity you know, and let me go and do that. Right. Um, the, the, the ones who are the best, like they have some deep seated passion about solving some particular problem and they are, or, or they have some very unique insight, you know, um, about how to solve that problem. Right. And there's a lot, you know, especially during the early days there, there's a lot of perseverance that's required that can really only come from having that type of passion uh, not just like, hey, I want to be a successful entrepreneur, but like, no, I like, I really desperately want to see this problem get solved. And in some cases, like the best way to solve the problem is to join forces with another organization. And you kind of have to set like ego aside 
and you have to kind of set personal, you know, investment aside uh, there. And which is, I mean, it, it's an adjustment to make, but I mean, ultimately, you know, you have to do what's right for, you know, for yourself, for the company and like what's, what's going to actually see, you know, your, your, your dream, you know, uh, succeed and, and go into the market. What was the founding vision for Unify ID and describe the, the problem in the market that you set out to solve? Yeah, like huh. Unified, you know, authentication is just really fundamentally broken. I mean, like the, the the methods that we and use and continue to use, and the predominant methods for authentication are, are just not. They do not have the the human being in mind, right? Uh, things like passwords, like I'm gonna re- I'm gonna have the secret. I'm gonna somehow remember that, and then I'm going to then tell you that secret, and that's how you know it's gonna be that that it's me is like you know the fact i told you the secret that like that you that that you know uh well of course i mean i'm not very good at coming up with good secrets and you could you know somebody could overhear us and like you could go and tell somebody else and i have to tell everyone's different secrets it just doesn't it doesn't scale it doesn't make sense i mean it worked it worked fine for some period of time but now you know in the case where you have hundreds of accounts and things like that um it's just not the the right uh, model anymore. And truthfully, you know, I mean, you've seen this in, uh, in other areas of technology as well. I mean, initially, you know, the technology is not very good. And so people have to adapt to the limitations of technology. And eventually, like, but technology, like it progresses very quickly. And so eventually, like technology reaches a point where um, instead of people having to adapt to the limitations of technology, technology is adapting to the way that people actually are. And so this problem of identity, this is not new. This is not new to technology. I mean, this existed since prehistoric times or even, you know, any social creature has a need to know, okay, who are you? Are you, are you, who are you supposed to be? You know, um, you know, can I trust you? Like these, these fundamental questions and how did we do that in the past? Well, you look at somebody's face, you listen to their voice, you, you know, see the context under which you see them, you see what possessions, like these type of things. And we, we all have very refined neural networks that are very good at doing this and that have evolved over many, many, you know, uh, millennia that are very, very good at doing this. And, you know, that it's, it's just a much more natural way of, of authenticating. Like you should, be able to be yourself. And then there's enough that's unique about you that like, we should be able to authenticate you. And the truth is like that, like what is, what was a vision in the past is now actually a a practical reality because of all the sensors in people's lives, like primarily on the smartphone. I mean, there's, there's a, everyone carries around smartphones. There's around 10 very high precision sensors and all of these things, not to mention things like wearables and IOT and these other, you know, these other areas. So really, I mean, the, the goal of, 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 of Unified ID is to make authentication better for users, better both in terms of security as well as user experience. These have traditionally been viewed as like opposites. So like, like in, in conflict, well, it's like, well, you know, if I want to have a better user experience, that means I'm making security worse. It's like, well, if I want it to be high security, that means like it comes at the expense of, of friction in the user experience. And it just, it, it doesn't have to be the case uh, anymore. There's enough technology, like innovative technology that exists where um, you could just be yourself and then there's enough that's unique about you that we can actually authenticate you 
you know, based on your unique behavior. And that's really, I mean, that like, and this transcends beyond online to also physical world interactions and, you know, times when you're calling on the phone and you, you know, you walk into a brick and mortar store or you, in your house, you approach your car, you know, going travel, all of these things, like there's a need, there's a need for authentication. And we strongly believe that the future of authentication is going to be passive. It's going to be seamless. It's going to be just happening in the background all the time. It's going to be much less explicit and more implicit. These insights make so much sense. And yet the identity management space has been broken for so long. Is it just a technological impediment? And, and you know, Unify ID came up with a, a better technology solution? Or is there some other reason why the pace of innovation has been glacial in this space? I mean, the truth is um, authentication, identity and authentication are very tied up with humans and human behavior and uh which is actually the hard part that's the hard part to change um you know it's uh, like even if you do uh, like the technology is absolutely a piece of it and then it's the kind of thing where when you have the right technology then suddenly like things become a lot more natural um like we have definitely seen that uh that to be the case but i mean number one uh, authentication is and identity is very sticky. I mean, it's very it's very hard to change because it, ha it has it has connections everywhere, and you can't just go through and rip and replace. You have to be able to supplement in various places where you know you use your ex existing identity stack, but you kind of add some new capabilities on top of that, which kind of makes it uh, makes the problem very hard. The second thing is honestly. Um, it's kind of unsexy and like and like overlooked, right? I mean, if you're if you are a product manager designing your next great product, I mean, like people don't typically think about, oh, what's my authentication experience going to be? Now, I I mean, I would argue you should because I think it's very important because that's the often the first experience someone has with your product or your brand, but that's not the way that people typically think of those things. They they're typically thinking about it in terms of, okay, well, yeah, okay you'll authenticate somehow you'll, you know, we'll do a, you'll do a password or maybe you'll send an email something, but then once you're in there, then like, well, that that's, that's an experience that they care about. Um, and so it's, it's, it, it has been overlooked. It's kind of, it's pretty um, unsexy. There's a lot of legacy there and you have to inter interact with legacy systems. You can't like rip and replace all of those things, um, you know, uh, contribute. Another big contributor is the fact that just in general, anything around security, is naturally conservative, like people, I mean, for rightly so. I mean, people don't necessarily trust new technology or new techniques, um, you know, uh, because, you know, they, they, they're typically move a little bit, so things in security typically move a little bit slower um, than in, in other industries. Um, you know, I mean, potentially for, for good reason, I think there's a good, you know, there's a, there is value in being somewhat conservative on the, on the security side. Um, but like these things have certainly um, held it back. And by the way, like these ideas are not really new. I mean, they've, I mean, I remember back in, what was it like early 2000s or so? I mean, I, I remember Netscape was talking about this. They were talking about, Hey, we're gonna have a huge PKI. and like, there's going to be, you know, uh, certificates for every person and every device. And like, nobody has to use passwords and all these things. Like, I mean, they were not able to accomplish it. In fact, like no one has really been able to accomplish it so far. Now, I think that that is 
changing. We're on the cusp now of a lot of these things changing. And we're starting to see that like with things like passwords starting to go away and like, you know, inc increasing use of mobile devices and authentication and, uh, and, and other areas. But, um, yeah, it's uh, like certainly like these are not really new ideas, but I think there's there's a few things that have happened recently that have really um, catalyzed the uh, like the 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 movement towards uh, you know a better form of authentication and identity. In recent weeks, we've been having a series of conversations about the ethics of AI. And one of the questions that has been really interesting to get a you know, variety of answers to is what could go wrong? And I think that's very germane to this conversation. So it, talk us through how you mitigate the impact of both false positives and false negatives when I'm authentication using, uh, authenticating using biometric data. Yeah, and this is an area, I mean, this is, I mean, ourselves, uh, we think about this a lot. And this, I mean, broadly as an increasing use of like machine learning and like in AI systems, this is a very uh, important topic. Um, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, when you have to be very careful about, about bias in these types of systems, right? And if you build a system that is biased against some type of group of users or some, you know, you know, type of a particular gender or a particular race or any, like, you know, anything like that, like you just have to be very careful about it. And some of it is in some cases, it's just like, uh, like AI can just for serve to reinforce existing human biases or amplify them. Right. Um, you know, in some cases it, there, there may, it, it may be more pure, but like the, the emergent property of the system is that it is biased against a certain group. Right. Um, and it's not just like, you really have to look at this in terms of an end to end, uh, approach. It's not just a data problem. I mean, in some cases, people will say, hey, you know, like we just don't have good data sets. And that's why our systems are biased. They're like, well, that's not the data sets are a part of it. That is not the complete answer, though, because, you know, the algorithms that were used that, you know, that were developed were developed, you know, um, with the with an eye towards an, an existence of other data sets. And so that there, there's going to there's going to be bias, there's bias that's that's built into those, um, like the, the 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 very techniques that we work on, or even the very problems that we work on. <laughs> like there's a, you know, there 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 are a number of biases that um, that 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 creep in, you know, there as well. And the goal is to not completely eliminate bias. It's just to make, I mean, just to be cognizant of it, and to make sure that it's going to be fair and equitable for everyone. So, I mean, in the context of Unified E, like we. Um, you know, we really set out to make sure that, you know, when we're training our systems, we do it on a very diverse data set, not necessarily a large data set, but one that kind of really captures all the different, many different types of people and many different of, of different age ranges and genders who live in different countries and behave in different ways and all these things. Because, you know, like the our, like the way that our system works, like the implications are not are not, you know, very significant. It's more like, you know, hey, if our system can't match against you, well, you're going to have a little bit worse time. You're going to have to go and fall back and you, like, use some, like your, your authentication experience is going to be a little bit worse. But I mean, ultimately, you're still be able to get in and you're still be able to, you know, make the purchase or do whatever else you need, you need, you need to, you need to do. Um, but 
there, um, you know, but it, but it is something that we uh, that we do spend a, a considerable amount of time on to make sure that that we are not we don't have blind spots and we're not and and we we uh, we operate well like in a, with a variety of people in a variety of situations. We've been conditioned to fear that uh, anyone with access to our fingerprint, uh, a scan of our iris, uh, you know, the structure of our cheekbones could potentially uh, fabricate that and misuse our biometric data. Um, is that fear mongering? Is it real? And if it's real, what, what are, you're an expert in the field. What are, what are some of the ways that you've found you can mitigate against that risk? Um, it, it is, I mean, it's, it's funny, um, you know, you hear, you know, Apple, for example, like they, they used to say your face is your password. And it's like, um, your face is not your password. Your face is your username. <laughs> your face is, there's nothing private about your face. Um, you literally, this is like what you project to the world and say, this is who I am. Um, and so like, this is not, although it's very convenient, um, you know, certainly not private. Other things like fingerprints, for example, are increasingly not private. And that's the, really the, the challenge around biometrics is there are most, most of the time they're immutable. So they are very, very, very hard to change. Like if you, if your fingerprints get compromised, which by the way, I mean, I think it's inevitable that like just about every person, uh, you know, um, in the United States, if not the world, like, like their fingerprints, either have been compromised or will be compromised at some point. I mean, like you literally like leave them everywhere you go. And like, you know, I mean, I, I, I go to the gym and well, I haven't been to the gym for a while because of the pandemic, but like when I went to the gym, there was, um, you know, like the, how do you authenticate to the gym? Well, there's a fingerprint reader there. Right. And you scan your fingerprint and you know, the, 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 the fitness club they go to and they have a net, it's a, you know, they have locations all over the place. Do they, do, do I honestly believe that they, know enough about it security to keep all of those fingerprints uh you know secure uh like I'm, how surprised would i be to see this like there is a there's a data breach involving that like not like not very surprised at all i mean in fact i mean this has happened and this happened in the uk this you know i mean there's you know and in government databases these kind of things so like it's kind of inevitable that that these will be released and will be compromised and like the problem is that they 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 are um, I mean, once they're compromised, then they're no longer reliable factors um, to use for authentication because like anybody can, can get them and spoof them, right? And on the other side, you know, things like face and fingerprint and others, there's, um, there are a lot of technologies, voice as well, that's another big one, where, you know, through technologies like deep fake type of technologies, you can create very, very convincing um, spoofs of these where, um, you know, it's like of somebody's voice or these type of things. And these are things like, literally I can go on a website today. I can go and I can, uh, you know, type in a message and I can then, you know, have a machine learning system that is actually very good. It's good enough to fool somebody over the phone. Right. And, you know, just, you can imagine kind of getting enough samples of somebody's voice to be able to build one of these systems and then have it spoof their, uh, their voice enough to, you know, pretend to be the CEO who, you know, calls to say, hey, can you make this money transfer? Like, of course, like these attacks are happening um, all the time. And so, I mean, the, the, the real answer to this is that, you know, you have to have a defense in depth and you can't just rely on any single factor. There is no silver bullet in security or authentication. 
Like they, it, it just doesn't exist. Like you need to combine multiple factors together just to make it hard enough that, you know, the, to, to make it hard enough or expensive enough that, you know, they, um, you know, they'll, they, they'll go, go after another uh, tactic to try to get access to you or they'll give up and they'll go after someone else. Right. Uh, that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, if you think about what are the factors are going to be that are the most expensive, well, it's the ones that actually where the user has to do something extra, right? Maybe they, they you know, if, if every time they have to type in a password or, you know, they have to send you a pin that you type in, or you have to do a facial scan or a iris scan or your palm or these kind of things. If you had to do that regularly, that ends up being very expensive from a user experience point of view. Um, now there's a number of factors you can use the information you can get just passively. I mean, just like the way that somebody types, for example, the way they hold their phone, the way they walk around, like their location, the places they go, the, the Wi-Fi access points that are around them. And the, you know, the fact they have a Bluetooth wearable device and all of this, like, I mean, these things you can all pick up passively. And although there's no, again, there's no silver bullet or security or authentication and none of these are perfect but you combine the you know the confluence of all these factors together um and then you can get a pretty accurate picture because then it's like okay well let's say i wanted to attack this system it's like well i need to now compromise the person's phone i would need to know what wi-fi access points are near there or i need to then go and um you know maybe if i'm using a computer i'd have to compromise both the computer and and the 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 phone and maybe a wearable device and so it gets a, like gets more complex to uh, to be able to do this type of attack. Obviously, um, there's no such thing as absolute security either. So like every system is hackable, um, but it just becomes you know it it becomes more um, more difficult to hack. And so that's really what the approach here is is you can't just rely on one single factor because like there will there will there always will be attacks. You have to come you have to combine multiple factors together to try to uh, to make it more difficult to to hack. So not that Unify ID would do this, but let's say hypothetically, big tech conglomerate starts authenticating me using my biometric data and uh, they're breached. What, what does it mean that some third party now owns and could potentially sell or monetize my biometric data? Who, what does that mean for what are the implications for humanity when something so hyper personal it's a it's in question who actually owns that data i mean i mean and this is fundamentally like why we even started unified in the first place it's like we saw a lot of organizations doing these types of things right basically they're collecting information about users and they're using it for reasons that are not necessarily aligned with the user's best interests or they don't really understand the, the privacy implications of it, and they don't really understand how to, the right way to protect the data. So the, the terrible way to do this is to build a database of everyone's biometric information and you know store that somewhere. And then it's like, it's not a question of if it gets hacked, it's a question of when. And, you know, and then there's a lot of very private data in there. It goes beyond, it's just like, hey, what's my, what's my fingerprint and those kind of things. But like, if you look at somebody's behavior, you can tell an amazing, amount about somebody. You can tell if they have a health issues. You can tell if they're depressed or not. You can tell, you can tell that like they're gendered. They can you can tell where they grew up. Like there's a there's an amazing amount of information that you can tell just by by uh just passive behavioral signals um the, of these type of things. Uh, and stuff which you may not which which is I mean ultimately private to you. I mean the model here 
has to be, must be, has to be that you as an individual must own your own data. I mean, you must, I mean, and, and you may in some cases decide to um, allow access to that or, or, you know, rent it out or, you know, but that, but that's a temporary, that's temporary. You should, you should always be able to just go back and say, you know what, I don't want you to use my data anymore. And so you have to, you have to not only, you have to erase all of it and like, and stop and stop using it, um, you know, now, now this is not like, this is, there's the startings of this with things like GDPR, CCPA and like, and, and BIPA and like, there's a, there's a bunch of other like regulations that are going through where they have the startings of these, this, this type of philosophy. But I mean, ultimately this is the direction that these things have to go. Like you have to have sovereignty over your own, you know, your own behavioral information, your own biometric information. And this is why, like, so when we architected the system, the biometric data stays on the local device. Like we don't want to be, I don't want to be personally in a situation where, you know, like, you know, I can be coerced into like giving up somebody's biometric data. I mean, I, I always need to be in the situation where it's like, well, I mean, unless you have the person's physical device, like I literally cannot help you because it's architected in the way that we don't have direct access to any of this. Right. And that's, that's really the only tenable solution. Cause otherwise, I mean, it'll just put us in a bad situation. I mean, maybe we get subpoenaed, right. Maybe we get hacked, maybe, you know, you know, somebody like kidnaps my kids and like, you know, threatens it, whatever. Right. It's just not like, you know, in order to get to, to give up this data, really the only solution that you can have is that, okay, this has to live on the device and like, and then we have no way to directly access um, any of that data, which is, I mean, obviously makes it a much more challenging technical problem. I mean, uh, it's much easier to just say, Hey, we're going to have a massive database of everyone and then match them, you know, and it, it pushes us to many more technologies around doing more things on client devices and like how to architect the system the right way. But I mean, this is ultimately our goal in, in, in founding Unified was that we just wanted to be the best in the world at this. And although not everybody at this point may care about these type of privacy aspects, uh, we do, and we know how to architect it in the way that will reflect that. So rather than going and build and roll your own, rather than the 200 companies that I work with are all collect independently collecting behavioral information and building behavioral profiles and like collecting my biometrics and storing them all in, uh, in databases, which like, which will be breached. You know, the, the goal here was really to it's like, hey, we, we're we're really good at that, and then and we understand the way to do the privacy. So we, because we're architected in this way, you can still get all the benefit, uh, but like while while users can can still maintain their privacy. So I think that's ultimately that's a way that 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 things have to go. There will be more data breaches. There will be more high profile data breaches. Um, some are going to be very sensitive information, and I think and then there's going to be and there's going to be uh, a backlash in terms of um, from like the legislative and like judicial side, um, you know, uh, in terms of what companies are allowed to do. And I mean, ultimately now companies are changing their tune on this. It used to be, you know, they, they used to say like data is the new oil and like, okay, the, the goal is to collect as much data as you possibly can because data is such an uh, important asset. Now it's increasingly around, especially around personal data and, and biometric data, um, now they say data is the new kryptonite <laughs> because there are there's certain type of data that you just as an organization you do not want to you do not want to hold on to because it is a liability for your organization because 
if and when it gets breached, um, it's going to be, you know, there, there, there are serious consequences of that. And a lot of that type of personal biometric data is of that ilk. So, and, and so, and the, I think that many, you know, CIOs and CISOs and like, the, you know, like uh, executives at this level, they're starting to realize uh, the importance of that. They are, they're starting to kind of actually going through is like, do we actually need to retain this data? Okay, no, we don't. Okay, let's let's get rid of it because uh, this is actually a liability for the company. There's, I mean, I'm glad to see that things are like that that people are starting to view uh, data in this way. This show is about AI and the future of work, and uh, it seems crazy that the present of work is so onerous in terms of authentication. Like as much as everything we're talking about here makes sense, that like. The fact is like the predominant way that we authenticate ourselves to apps is through passwords and pins. How long before like, it, you know, in, an, in a work setting, I'm not gonna have to rely on this awful experience that's insecure. Yeah, so unfortunately, I mean, and this is somewhat legacy that the employees and contractors and workers really get the short end of the stick because they, um, like the culture is it's like well you have a job here you like you know here are the rules you have to that you have to follow and this is what you have to do right now i think that that the place where we see most of the innovation happening is actually more on the end user side i mean like these are brands that you know they care about user experience they want to have more streamlined you know uh, like onboarding and authentication experiences. And, you know, and so you see like, uh, I mean, major brands, especially ones that are kind of have a strong mobile presence, they're starting to go passwordless, you know, they're, you know, instead of, you know, it's, it's like the first baby steps of this. It's like, well, instead of like, I set up a password as like, I'll send you a text message and you maybe you type in a code or you click on a link in there, or, you know, I'll send you an email or those kind of things to authenticate. Okay. I'll remember your session. I'll be smart about that. Like there's, there's, and then there's like, uh, you know, technologies like web auth in, which are kind of not, you're not fully there yet, but they're starting to get there. And like, you see more and more embracing of that, like on the worker side, you know, it's still, it's, uh, you know, okay. You know, the mentality is very much, okay, well you, you know, you, uh, like, like workers are somehow less important uh, around this. Now, I think this is going to change. Um, I mean, much in the same way you saw kind of in the whole consumerization of IT trends that happens kind of in, you know, around 10 to 15 years ago. I mean, it's things like Wi-Fi, for example, it's like people are using Wi-Fi at home and it's like, we need, we should use Wi-Fi in the, in, in the business. And so they brought that stuff in, right? iPhones, same thing. I mean, it was like, it was like, there's a whole list of those things that were kind of like the innovations were first on the consumer side. And then they were eventually dragged in to the organizations often in very grassroots ways. Um, it's hard to do grassroots stuff. Like when you're talking about identity and authentication, but I mean, these things will still continue to happen. And ultimately it becomes, you know, it becomes a recruiting tool or it becomes a employee retention, employee happiness tool. Right. It's like, well, you know, do I, do I want to go to this you know, work at this company with this antiquated IT system where it's like they make me rotate my password every month and like every time I have to add a new symbol and whatever, like, you know, and then like annoying 2FA and like, you know, all this stuff, like there's, uh, you know, it, it's, um, you know, like, or, or do I want to work for this other organization where it's like, where you have a much better experience. And so, you know, like especially among certain professions, like you're gonna you start to see some of these things first. You know, um, you know places where yeah they may have security or compliance type of things, but they also have 
people who are very impatient and they want, they want to, uh, uh, they want to get their work done. Um, you know, I think you'll start to see this, especially in tech companies. I mean, like, it's just, I mean, uh, like, you know, for, for, for somebody in technology to see, to look at these things like passwords and everything and, and the way that authentication works, um, it's just very frustrating, uh, for them. And so I think all you really need is like, you need to have some visionary, you know, person within the organization that says, you know what, I care about employee experience. Let's, uh, you know, let's move forward with, with one of these, um, you know, type of, uh, you know, new type of approaches, which by the way, we've seen work at banks and we've seen work in a number of these other uh, contexts. So it's not really a question of, you know, can it be secure enough? Um, it's really, you know, a, a question of will on, on that side. So like the, this is why most of our traction has been on this B2B to C type of markets where it's like, Hey, we help a bank, you know, authenticate their end user or like a ride sharing app or, you know, those, uh, like th those type of things, like where it's, it's, you, you have security, you know, uh, concerns, you have, you know, risk, you know, trying to manage risk, you're trying to detect fraud and prevent fraud, uh, these type of things, but you also care a lot about user experience. Right. And so I think that like we're this currently, there's not a lot of consideration to employee experience. Um, I think that will change, especially as the nature of work changes and more, you get more like different forms of work. I mean, like the whole traditional thing of like, I go to the office, I work there nine to five, like uh, these, I mean, everything that's happened through this pandemic, all those things are changing. And so I think this is, you know, this, this is another thing where, where um, you know, it'll like, we'll start to see changes in this area as well. John, I hope that when we have you back, we're going to be celebrating the demise of the password. Yeah, it was. I, uh, I mean, the, the people have been predicting that for a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, hey, look, passwords are never going to completely go away. They, I mean, they, they will always have their place. Um, they'll just become, you know, I, I, I'll make a prediction, you know, right here on your broadcast, uh, on, on your podcast right now, that within two years from now. So, I mean, we're we're, we're talking about. Um, you know, in, in, in 2023, like, so number one, the password alone is not, is no longer going to be the predominant method of authentication. Um, it will still exist and it'll still exist in some cases, but um, it will no longer be the, the number one factor. It will be, you know, it'll, it'll be used in backup situations. It'll be used and supplemented with other um, types of authentication, but it will no longer be the the predominant one. And like that, like there's all the, all the indications are pointing in that direction. You heard it here first, 2023. I'm going to circle it on my calendar. Hey, John, we're uh, we're bad out of time, but I uh, I can't let you off the hot seat without the, this one last question. Just to, I want to understand a little bit more about your personal journey. So you went from being uh, an academic, you were a founding CTO, you were CEO of a venture-backed company. What has each experience taught you about yourself? You know, I mean, it's kind of, cheesy i mean i think it, it like I mean, ultimately it's just don't pretend pretend to be somebody that you're not and like don't pretend to be somebody that like you you think that oh this is what this role requires therefore that's the way i should be um you know i mean i i mean i'm i'm very much i'm a very technical person i may have been programming since i was 5 years old i love engineering technology you know i when when I when I went to to start the company, I mean, my my, my first time around was a CTO, uh, that was great. Second time around, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be the the CEO this time. I mean, and partially because I had worked for kind of enough 
CEOs like seen it enough as like, okay, like I, I, I feel like I could do a reasonable job at this. You know, I got some advice, for example, like when we're first starting the starting Unified E, where it says, okay, you should, you should remove your, you know, like the, the PhD from your business card. Because people see that as like, oh, they're going to dismiss you and say, oh, you're so impractical. You're so, you know, they're like you're ivory tower academic. You don't understand how the real world works. You don't know how to sell things, any of that. Right. And then, you know, I thought about it and it was like, no, no. I mean, I, I spent whatever, five plus years doing this. I mean, I, I'm not going to take it off my resume. I'm going to put on, I'm going to put on there proudly. Right. And because it's kind of like, you know, I, I, there was a time in my life that I had spent where I was, you know, I was kind of trying to live for other people or trying to be kind of pretend to be somebody that was like, just not fundamentally, not my, my nature. And it was not, you know, and then a number of things happened in my life that was like, okay, this is like, this is not the way to do things. I'm like, I, I'd much rather just be myself and then be much more, much more authentic. And then, and like play to my strengths, I guess. And so this is the part where it's like, well, you know what? Yeah, I am a, I am a PhD and I, and I, and I am like a, and a college professor. And you know what that means is like, I can go to like a machine learning conference and I can give a talk. Right. And I can give a very technical talk. And you know, most CEOs, startup CEOs can't do that, but I can, which means that I can go there and I can, number one, we get a, a huge amount of technical credibility. Number two, it makes it like way easier to, to, to recruit technical talent and like identify and recruit the right technical talent, all this. Right. And then, and, and so like you get all these benefits and then people like will naturally flock to you and gravitate you to you. If you're kind of like living that kind of more authentic life and not trying to pretend, pretend that you're somebody uh, that you're not. So, I mean, understand very much your, your strengths and weaknesses, you know, understand what you're good at and what you're not, uh, really play to your strengths, and then in the areas where you uh, where you know that you're not strong, basically find you know find partners or other people who can then supplement you in those areas. I mean, this is uh, you know when you're when you're starting a company, especially it's like you know they uh, like you have some real challenges if like everybody is technical and nobody's really sure you know or everybody's in the same type of role and like. The, 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 the roles are not really that super crisply defined and like, you know, and then you step on each other's toes and it's like, who's responsible for what? And then there's whole areas where like, they don't get, uh, that, you know, get addressed at all. Like, this is where it's like, if you really understand, know yourself and understand yourself and fully embrace that, um, you know, I mean, like, look, and, and you can be, you can, you can forge your own path. I mean, there's no, there's no exact formula for, you know, how to be, how to start a company or how to build, be a CEO. Like you, you have, you have to be, I mean, you're fundamentally building something new. And so, you know, which often like takes a fundamentally new approach. And so, you know, don't, don't shy away from it. This is actually your strength. If you're just trying to do the same thing everybody else is doing, you're like, you're not going to succeed. Like you said, so just play to your strength and then, you know, and then things will work out and then understand where your limitations are and then supplement those with, uh, with the right people. That's my, my recommendation, you know, based on my, my experiences in my last two companies. Well, John, we, uh, we went way off script and we went way over time. And, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we did on both accounts. Uh, this is a fascinating discussion and I uh, hope you'll uh, come back for another version. Well, there you have it. Our, uh, our 76th episode in the book. Thanks again to John for a great discussion. And of course, to Vinay from Unify ID 
for the introduction to John. This is your host, Dan Turchin, signing off for this week, but back next week with another fascinating guest. Thank you.